With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us on the uh, on the podcast. Welcome to all the Y Whalers. Um, you'll notice today that the Switzer the the seats are a little bit switched. Um, I'm going to be taking over hosting duties um, because we're going to be grilling Jay and uh, and Zem today about some of the projects that they're building uh, in the blockchain space. Um, truly exciting project, I think, where TradFi meets uh, blockchain technology. Um, we're going to be able to uh, see how those two worlds meet. Um, and uh, a builder in the space who's going to be able to walk us through their vision of how those those two things meet. Um, my name is Alan Matheson. I am the founder of Golden Pair. We are a crypto hedge fund uh, and, you know, investors in the space. And so I love talking with folks like uh, Jay and Zem, who, again, can help paint this kind of picture of where it is that we think we're going, where this uh, meeting between what's been built in crypto for the moment, which is sort of like crypto values, can possibly meet in the middle with traditional uh, um, with with traditional financial uh, systems um, and enhance them, make them better, and in that in that meeting, really bring uh, something interesting to the market. Um, maybe I'll I'll start just by throwing it out and ask you guys to give a very quick introduction. I think a lot of people know. Uh, each of you, uh, if they've been listening to a previous podcast, but um, but please, Jake, why don't you walk you through, walk through a little bit of your background? Yeah, first. thank you, Alan. I I, re- I love the the change in the seats here, and it's it's great to watch uh, someone else have fun with us. Um, so my name is Jay Steinbeck. As all of you know, I'm the CEO of Y Whales, uh, and and we're launching a project uh, now called Fin Ramp. Uh, my my background before all this is I did did come from a family office, um, and so really a family business, uh, and and through that business and and where I kind of was able to understand how institutions and large companies operate uh, is from the time I was in diapers, I was allowed access to anything and everything in a very large retail operation. Um, meaning that I understand, uh, you know, how enterprise level systems operate from, from ERPs, POSs, and kind of that base infrastructure layer. Uh, because the family who, and, and for anyone that's worked in a family business, understands generally they're like, oh yeah, no, my son can do that. He understands that that IT type stuff. So Web1, I really built, um, you know, for a very large company, I, I was given carte blanche to say, hey, Currently today, we have fax machines on every single desk. Uh, we have a single computer with one AOL dial-up account. Um, go ahead and usher us into the future. So I got to do all those things, you know, really on my own, uh, understand how it worked and, and teaching people during web one, um, how to use email, how to use a mouse, how to use a computer, how to like utilize this new technology. And we flowed all the way through, through e-commerce and whatnot. Um, I've obviously since exited all those businesses and, and uh, we've moved on, um, but I'm seeing those parallels now. And so I really do understand, you know, when, when we're talking about the ideas of self-custody, when we're talking about the ideas of how to manage wallets and assets, it's the exact same as, as teaching someone, you know, how to use that computer and send and receive email the first time. Um, 
today we won't even think about it. And, and in the future, we won't even think about managing our assets. Uh, but I, I find a lot of parallels and that's why it's been really such an interesting uh, asset class to play in. So thank you for uh, the time today, Alan, as always. And how did how did you get involved in uh, in crypto? Like, what we what was what was the genesis of that journey? You know, it, as as everyone is is most likely heard, you know, my first act, you know, kind of experience was, you know, obviously during you know eight oh nine, you know, it's just like okay, the world is world is crashing, and when you have a large company, you're always looking for like, okay, how can I hedge my bets? How can I, you know, how do I manage my way through this when the credit market is drying up and everything else? Uh, and, and I read a, a very early article. Um, you know, pre before the Wired article on Bitcoin, and it was just kind of like, hey, this this concept of like digital money was coming and everything else. Um, and so I really started to get interested in Bitcoin, um, way way back in the day. Um, but but there wasn't any really use cases for it. So I, I looked at it as, and they even called it a test. You know, this is the test of what digital money would look like. So I've been very interested in blockchain. Overall, kind of gave up a little bit um, in between 2010 and, and 2014 because it was there, there wasn't you know there was pizzas for 100,000 bitcoins being sold uh, and drugs on Silk Road, which which didn't interest me in any way. Uh, but then all of a sudden, Ethereum you know it came on board and we start talking about like an internet computer. Um, and and to me, that is like when we talk about like ERPs and and you know like anyone that's running an old Oracle system. And there's Oracle systems that 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 enterprises have been running since like the 1980s with like very few upgrades. Like this is the first time that I could, you could suddenly see there's a reason for these companies to upgrade. There's a reason for these companies to start looking at this new generation of blockchain because it makes APIs just beyond obsolete. It's, it's the difference of, you know, having a fax machine on every desk um, and having a computer in the, in, in the hand, a wireless tablet in the hands of, of every salesperson. And that's the way I kind of looked at the word blockchain was going. And I think that we're finally now, um, um, you know, 13, 14 years later, after I first saw the first, you know, my first Bitcoin, um, we're getting very, very close to being able to see that, what that dream really looks like. It's cool. Uh, I mean, we've been friends for a while and I, I just learned a few things about your background that actually I'd never heard before as well. So, um, yeah, I love it. And then, you know, you're joined uh, by the brilliant uh, Zofira. Um, and I love how you guys have this kind of like, um, yin yang approach. Pardon my, maybe that's uh, uh, not the right way of explaining it. But I mean, uh, like Jay, you're kind of very visionary and uh, really out there, imagining what's next. And Zemfir, you come at this with like an amazing amount of experience from traditional finance, um, from like pulling strategy down into tactics. Um, and rather than me trying to describe your background, uh, why don't you describe a little bit about your background for us? Yeah, thanks, Alan. Great to, great to see everyone. Um, so my background is actually you, you just right to the point. Um, it's um, really engineering. I came to um, from, came to Canada from Russia originally to do a PhD. Um, and a big part of that was actually uh, in computer science and technology. <clears throat> All of the PhD was in engineering. And then over over years, I went to McKinsey Company for quite a few years, until and then joining Scotia Bank, which is uh, one of the top ten uh, banks in North America, as uh, to build a strategy. And I think that was the time when, for the first time, I got introduced to blockchain. So it was 2016. It was early days, and we kind of looked at as a strategy group as, hey, what is this new technology that seems to be so disruptive, and what does that mean? And with my, with my PhD mind, I just decided to go and try to fully understand what that looks like and started taking coding classes and 
coding Bitcoin and was just fascinated by what that looks like and what the change that can bring to the finance world. Um, so many years later, uh, when the time came to figure out what is next, because I felt that um, running a strategy at the bank, universal bank is not necessarily what I want to do for the rest of my life. I met Jay and we just kind of hit it off as his vision of to build something based on the technology that I was fascinated about uh, at the time of the uh, bull market where you can actually see the potential um, was very enticing. And so that's when we thought that, hey, let's launch a YWELS, let's see what we can do with it. And then eventually narrowing down our products to launch to um, launch XR and FINRA, and FINRA being the capital markets infrastructure that is using blockchain technology. I love it, and I'd like, I'd like. Obviously, we'll get into FinRap and really interested in that. If I may, why did you guys decide that you wanted to start building something? Like, what what was the genesis from a, from a more sort of uh, holistic point of view? You know, um, again, going back to, I was in a family business. We were highly focused on retail, so I, I kind of missed out on Web One, even though I very much understood the concepts of it. And then Web Two, it was kind of like it was an evolution of. Uh, web one. And so it, it was not something that anyone could, could say, you know what I, it, and, and listen, there's very brilliant people that, that showed up out of nowhere in web two. Um, but, but this was kind of an entirely new asset class. So it's not just, you know, an evolution of web one and two. It's, it was almost a, a restart over. And so it reminded uh, me of those early days of, you know, in the, in the early nineties, um, the way web one was compared to, to web two. And so when I started, when we really started diving into this and just going, okay, the world has changing, the world is shifting. The technology, the technology stack that that we've run on for years, which is Swift, um, it is is beyond antiquated. It, it actually runs on, in a lot of cases, dial-up modems. I mean, that's that's how old parts of the Swift system are. Um, and and really took a look at kind of where this was, and then I look at what what was the technology being used for. And in all in all early cases, you're you know, such as the MP3 files. Um, the first use use case of of MP3 technology was, you know, Napster and LimeWire and others, just doing peer-to-peer trading, saying like, hey, you could make that file, you can transfer it. Um, I remember I remember spending hours and hours and days, you know, downloading downloading a song on a, you know, a 14K modem and then it downloads and you're like, that's not the song I want. Um, and then, so the technology was, was very cool, but then all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, Apple, the Apple musics, the Pandoras, the Spotify's that, that come through and they, they were able to kind of like say, that's great how you're doing that, but, but here's a different way that, that we can monetize this and, and make it happen and, it, and create this amazing user experience. And that was kind of what happened as I dove really deeply into web three, um, is I understand the concepts of digital scarcity. I, I at this point, I, I can consider myself as close to an expert as possible on, you know, NFTs and blockchains and cryptocurrencies and, and all the fun things that we always talk about Alan. Uh, but I go, this is just a, like, to me, an alpha test. Like we're just proving that the ship can hold water because if you can make, uh, you know, truly, and I mean, truly like a, a, a digital JPEG monkey. And I understand there's more behind all that than there, but if you can make something that has no real, you know, intricate utility or value in the real world, 
hold millions of dollars of real world value. Well, now let's let's take that technology and apply it to things that that do need this type of infrastructure. Let's take a look at really fragmented, you know, fragmented financial systems and fragmented marketplaces around the world. And and you know, for those of us in the United States or Canada, which which you guys are, uh, we may not think you know too highly or heavily about like, well, you know, I put money in a bank and it's fine. And you know, there's there's some minor efficiencies I believe that blockchain could maybe bring. But that's not, you know, the, the 90% of the world that is desperate um, to, to override corruption and have some transparency and really is looking for a brand new system that, that helps with globalization um, and, and starts to eliminate a little bit of the central, centralized, uh, you know, authorities that, that truly have done like damage um, to, to their countries, to their, to their currencies and others. And so I, I think that there's a combination of these, of these technologies Um that can be applied in a very significant way um, to to grow the entire global economy um, together, and and a little bit less of the fiefdoms. And I think that that's the biggest thing is that there's nothing that I've ever seen, um, and that nobody's ever been able to convince me that can scale um, it with the efficiency, speed, and and low cost that blockchain can. Now, what it's being used for today, I think, is there's going to be an evolution of that, and that's that's really you know my my thesis. But I'd love uh, them to kind of tie in on that a little bit as well. I think, um, so one of the experiences that I had throughout my my career, both at McKinsey and then at the bank, was um, I was very blessed to be um, working in different industries. So anything from oil and gas from my first days, then aerospace, and then satellites. Actually, part of my, I had spent almost two years building satellites for uh, MDA space missions, and then eventually joining McKinsey and then doing anything from infrastructure project to insurance to eventually banking. And the reason I'm bringing this up is actually it was almost my own evolution of understanding how the world operates. So from digging something from underground to actually bringing this all the way up to capital markets, which is what gets everything work. <clears throat> and I think I had a big aha moment in my life when I realized that without fixing the financial systems and financial sector, nothing else will work. And so I'm a big believer that if you want to make a big difference, you have to stick to the fundamentals and change them first. And I think that's where the FINRA came in as, hey, if you want to do something within the blockchain space, um, it has to be within finance. And we just need to build on what currently exists versus try to reinvent it. Um, and so that's my own belief. And this is why I was so supportive of the idea is they can kind of start developing. And but like you mentioned, Jay is the visionary and he comes up with lots of crazy things. But this one, I'm fully subscribed to and this is why we're working on it together pretty much full time right now. Yeah, and it seems like we've done a fairly good, go- good job in crypto kind of creating, um, creating a system, an alternative system. It's not swift. It doesn't depend on, you know, centralized entities. Um, and it has its own values and, uh, and builders in the space who, who build around these like, uh, very important facets of like decentralization and sometimes anonymity and things that are kind of at odds with the traditional system. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I guess, you know, what I think we probably all believe is that at some point those kind of converge somewhere in the middle and uh and that there's there's a there's a middle ground there where the the beauty of what's been built in crypto can help to uh replace a lot of the rails 
that exist within traditional finance. But we have these kind of two parties coming at it from different sides. We've got like traditional uh, institutions who are are moving in and, and adopting blockchain technology, and you have these crypto builders. Um, can you guys speak a little bit to like what's the problem you're trying to solve and focusing on to sort of help get us into that convergence of of these two technologies as you guys as you guys see it, um, you know, with uh, with FinRAMP. Yeah, so so I think the name is is right there in FinRAMP. So we we are a bridge, um, and so think of us as we want to adhere to traditional you know finance rules, regulations, uh, you know laws, and, and auditing and everything else, but we want to start utilizing you know, blockchain-based finance. Um, so so there's not going to be, it, it's really hard to just do a, a hard cut from from one to the other. Just say, hey, here's TradFi and then and then DeFi just appears. Um, and, and so we're really middleware. We sit in between and we, we try to bridge that gap where we go, look, um, I, I don't think the DeFi world is ready. I, I, I just don't. And I know that a lot of people are working very hard at this and we've made a lot of really, you know, interesting uh, progress and there's a lot of new things coming down the road, but it's it's just not ready. And, and by the way, it's just not safe. Um, so so the, the tech Technology being played with, um, we're, we're seeing it evolve very, very rapidly. Um, you know, again, we're trying to replace centuries-old banking systems and laws, um, and so we kind of look at it as though, like, look, let's let's start bringing some assets um, from the traditional finance world. Let's bring it into a, a blockchain-based, you know, kind of sheltered cove where you know we're, we're fully uh, there. The anonymity, um, you know, is, is not there. We're, we're fully KYC, AML, OFAC compliant, so we're adhering to all rules and regulations of TradFi, but we're now in the correct format. So, so very similar uh, to to kind of transitioning from one to the other was we're, we're now getting things ready to go, and so when there is that aha moment, when there is the okay, we finally figured out wallets, we finally figured out you know bridges and wrapping and all these other things. You know, we already have an ecosystem of, of traders of, of of assets that's just ready to kind of move into that space um, versus kind of like okay, now there's the mad rush of trying to tokenize uh, and 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 you kind of lose that 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 on ramp and that kind of first mover. Um, you know, protocol type thing. And I'd, I'd be kind of interested to know, sorry, Zim, one sec. Uh, you know, your views on, you paint this picture of like, you know, here's the way that we can create this ecosystem and fit it in the regulations that currently exist. Just, a, you know, a little bit of a sidebar. To what degree do you think the regulations need to change over time? in order to free up some of the innovation that's there. I mean, we're in, you know, finance is very much jurisdictional. Like every country in the world has their own rules as to what you can and cannot do with, with, with when you're doing anything in terms of, of finance. Um, and yet you have these uh, blockchain capabilities, which give, uh, you know, to, to make all, a lot of those functions truly global. Um, do you think that regulation ends up, trying to uh, free that innovation and provide new rails that are more global or or just the opposite it, it's, it's it's a it's like a quadruple edge sword on that one so I, I think and let me put it in this perspective um, if we did not have ICANN, you know, which basically sets standards and rules. They don't say what you can send on email. They don't say, you know, where you can send it on email. But if you didn't have them say, here's the standards of what an email is and what it contains and evolve over time, none of us, the email would, would not be the, the, what it is today. Because it doesn't matter what email domain you use, what your tech stack is, where in the world you are, 
you can send and receive email very fluidly and it just works. And that's, that's the type of regulation that we're looking at is, is there needs to be standards around, Hey, um, you know, here, here's the formatting, here's, here's what you're going to send and receive. And that needs to be again, blockchain agnostic. It doesn't matter what blockchain you are, you know, let's, let's go ahead and figure it out, like how to, how to send and receive these things. Um, because wrapping, you know, at this point, I, I, I'm kind of down on it just for a variety of reasons. Cause you're, there's, there's a hole in the, in, a hole in the system there. Um, but, but the, the other part of this is, I kind of look at the the rules and regulations again can move forward, and I think that the EU with MICA has done a fabulous job of saying, "Look, we're going to take MIFID two, and we're going to there there are some nuances and differences and changes, and we're going to roll those over into MICA." And I think they did a really good job writing that. It's not done; it's not finished, um, and I don't think it'll ever be finished. I think it's going to continue to evolve the same way it is as the blockchain evolves. But that's the way we kind of look at it: is we have to have a starting point is uh, that that really allows um, for for the concept of decentralization. Um, again, I'm, I'm not on that. I, I, we're not there today. Um, but 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 I, we have to get there. And I believe that that's where the, the greater good of where blockchain is going to come through. Um, but we need some rules of the game. And it has to be around consumer protection. And I'm not talking about government protection. They're, they'll protect themselves, no problem. I'm talking about consumer protection um, so that we can make sure that we're all playing you know, on a fair playing field. And that an asset created in North America is is compatible with an asset that's created in South, South Africa, um, is compatible with with something anywhere in the world. And it really does create that free and open system that allows for innovation to just scale rapidly. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, Zem, I apologize. I, I may have, uh, I don't know if you wanted to add something. Uh, I can, I, I can. So I actually wanted to address the question you originally asked, which is why do we need to bring these two together? So one of the foundations of banking is trust. So the reason why um, banks are capable of doing what they're doing is because this is our ultimate trust system. We go and we give it to, to them um, what we cherish the most, which is our, <clears throat> our finances, our investing in all different aspects of what makes us who we are and at the same time providing for ourselves and the life of our, our families. <clears throat> and um, what blockchain brings is... Um, that aspect of trust that can replace multiple inefficiencies in the system. And I think bridging that together and bringing the uh, blockchain of, uh, aspects of blockchain that will eliminate certain inefficiencies in the banking sector while still adhering to regulations and then making sure that the consumer are protected. And then in certain extent, there is a reason why some of the um, some of the regulations actually protecting the, their they're driven by the different governments and then they're driven by their own policies. I don't think we want to replace that. I think we want to respect that, but we want to bring in the best of blockchain right now. And then maybe the second point is on the evolution of regulations. And I think we've seen that again and again over um, years as regulations are continuously evolving to respond to how the society evolves to respond to what is considered to be norm and to respond to this changing technology. And then we also know that it's almost never regulation goes ahead of the tech. You have to get the tech there first. And so this is what we're seeing right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. And I think like, uh, yeah, blockchain has developed to a certain point where now regulators can't ignore it. They need to do something about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, personally, it does make me a little bit nervous because 
you have some regulators who really are tremendously forward thinking and understand the technology and the possibility of innovation and disruption. Um, and you have others who really don't. Um, and who probably are, are guided very much by misinformation about and and by information that existed about blockchains from you know probably uh, that might have been true years ago, but is no longer true anyway. No, but but uh, but I, a, but I, I, lo- I love I love the way you're touching on that, Alan, because I think there's something that that at least needs to be said is that that the blockchain you know industry industry and asset class has done themselves no favors by by the way that we name things. You know, if you want, if you want to issue a token and it's it's something for fun, that's great. But but saying something initial coin offering or ICO, which is rhymes with with IPO, like there's a lot that goes behind an IPO, and and so I think that there's you know very much a difference between like okay, we're going to take you know six to eight to ten to twelve months for an IPO to to make that happen versus like you know two to three hours for an ICO. And so I feel like, you know, we just, we, we kind of cause this, these problems and these concerns because if a regulator hears initial coin offering, they're going, well, well, there's a lot of paperwork behind that and you didn't do any of these things. And so us saying, Hey, we want to distribute a coin. We want to airdrop. We want to you know, like, we, we have not done ourselves any favors on how we name things because we're trying to be that, but we're not even close yet. Yeah. Well, you don't think non-fungible token isn't a, <laughs> is a great name? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more with you. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, more about uh, FinRamp in detail. Uh, like, explain to us how does it work? Yeah, so the concept around FinRamp is that we're we're launching in the EU, so we we abide by MiFID two um, rules and regulations. And the entire goal is that we are um, three phases. Uh, number one, we have a, a walled garden. So meaning that we're essentially that sheltered cove that there's, you know, we're able to say, look, uh, we're OFAC compliant, a, you know, KYC, AML, KYT compliant. So we have all the compliance that that large institutions require. You know, they have a fiduciary responsibility. So they go, look, it, it sounds very similar to what we're doing today. We're utilizing a bit, a different, slightly different technology stack and everything that we need from auditing, uh, compliance is, is all built in from day one. So we start with that, that kind of like sheltered cove from the larger DeFi world of, of, of a little bit of chaos and, and concerns. Um, from there, we add in, you know, the ability to tokenize. Uh, the one, one of the novel pieces of technology that we've built is our token design. Uh, so we call these the, the 1155Fs. Um, and we're, we're kind of going through the, the process now, but it is, is much more in depth than anything else that we've seen. And that's been one of the challenges this is like saying, Hey, I've got a token and it represents a, a, this thing. Um, and just trust us is fine. But, but without the ability to verify with the, the ability to kind of see and, and control that data, um, th- there's a lot of challenges there. So, so we've got a lot of, a lot of into our token design and whatnot. And then the last is liquidity. Um, and we've all seen this, you can create a token. Um, that's great. And it can be the most beautiful, amazing thing. And it can be a, a really, you know, valid project. We've seen people tokenize billions of dollars of, of real estate, but without liquidity, um, you, you really have nothing. And so that's where we really start with number one, having, a, 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 again, OFAC compliant uh, marketplace for internal uh, internal users or the ability because we can turn these into securities and, and truly, you know, again, now forcing regulation, existing regulation onto our tokens that we can route to external execution venues like an MTF, uh, eventually FCAs, and, and theoretically, if the US ever allows it, and then an ATS. And so what that means is that you have not just this this token design that that represents a, a real world asset uh, or with with real world utility, but now it is an ability to to trade internally. You can have people on the outside being able to route externally. So someone on a Bloomberg terminal could trade these securities. It also allows you the ability to bring internally 
uh, stocks from the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, anything you want. So again, we're, we're that middleware. We're saying, look, we, we love what, what you built over here with TradFi. It's a, it's a you know, quadrillion dollar industry of all the assets that move around the world. Now we want to kind of come in here and we want to utilize a new technology stack that very similar to why the NASDAQ, you know, appeared. And, and the, the, the very quick story behind the NASDAQ is the Dow and the S&P were paper-based, you know, people running around, waving their hands and you had to run around the, the floor. And, and it was very hard to bring new, new companies to that, to that uh, process. And so all these new tech stocks and all these little, little penny stocks were starting to exist and pop up and they couldn't find liquidity. So they used computers for the first time and created the NASDAQ. And that allowed for like, Hey, if you want these, these little penny stocks and, and all these little things like, you know, Hey, it's cute, Microsoft, whoever these guys think they are, um, you going to have to go onto the computer and use it. And all of a sudden that technology allowed them to scale a lot for mass liquidity brokers to use it. You know, compliance was much cheaper than, than the traditional route. And that's what we're stating right here is we're essentially saying there's a new technology that there's a lot of ignored asset classes that are trading in small little dark pools or trading in small, uh, small little, little exchanges around the world. And they don't have the proper liquidity because they don't have the proper exposure. So I think that's the easiest way to think about what uh, FinRIMP is, is at the end of the day um, is we're exposing, you know, traditional assets, uh, traditional securities to an entirely new technology stack that we believe scales better and faster than anything else. But Sam, please uh, add on to that. <clears throat> I think you nailed it. I think it's really about um, taking um, taking the best of technology and then being able to use that to um, facilitate um, trading, facilitate access to various financial instruments on a more global basis. So maybe we can, uh, I, I get it. I think theoretically, very interesting. Um, can we walk through some use cases? Like how would people use it? Maybe both like now, what would, you know, whatever, what does phase one look like? But also paint us a picture, like, paint, you know, 10 years from now, what does this look like? Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that I think is you need to take about three steps back and I, I spent enough time and energy kind of really researching, you know, what, what has been done in traditional markets. And then what we don't want to do is just a one-to-one, -one, you know, recreation over on blockchain, which is, I think what a lot of people have done. Like here's a token, it's a, it's, it's just a token and it, it has no actual utility. Uh, but that's not what, what blockchain is. That's not what Web3 is about. So suddenly you can have vertically integrated solutions that as if you're as if you're buying a Tesla stock on, on the Nasdaq, um, that suddenly you have extra utility value and things that you can do with this. You know, can you can you purchase a car with it? Can you get rewards for it? Can you be recognized for it? Can it be traded in other ways? And so suddenly you have the ability to create these vertically integrated tech stacks that not just you have potentially shares of a company or do you have, you know, shares of, of a building or a property or anything else, but there's different things that you can do with them, you know, that that integrate the concepts like staking. Um or, or any or any of these other ones, you know, minting and everything else. So it suddenly flows in that you can take a lot of traditional, you know, rules and regulations and use a lot of the things that we've been playing around in blockchain and, and it works very well. So um, real estate, I think, is is the, the gold standard that everyone wants to get to. There's there's three over $330 trillion um, in the world of, of real estate. It's a massive market, but it's a highly, highly regulated market. And it's an incredibly complex market. And I've seen time and time again, people say, oh, we're, we're tokenizing real estate. Um, and, and, you know, I just gave a speech on this in London. No, you didn't. You made a token. Nobody recognizes it. No government entity recognizes it. No title company recognizes it. You can't insure it. Um, and, and by the way, if, if you lose it, 
are you okay with the fact that your, your real estate is now gone? Um, I don't think that's there. So let's take a step back and think about like your car. Um, you know, uh, if you go, you go buy a car, you register with the DMV, they give you your title, um, and you got a piece of paper. Um, the piece of paper is actually meaningless. Um, it, it's essentially, you know, a derivative that allows you to say, look, look, I own this, but you know, Alan, if I'd like to sell you my car, I'm going to sign this over to you. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to have to go to the DMV. They're going to make that change in the register to say, okay, it, it went from Jay. Now it's owned by Alan. And here's a new piece of paper that you now have. So, so there's suddenly these, these very complex, you know, workflows that we can integrate in to create those efficiencies um, and also create more security around there. So where we're starting with is not starting with the hardest one, which is real estate. Um, we're starting with, I think, the, the biggest challenge globally that we're seeing, um, and that's with the voluntary carbon credit market. Um, I think it's one of the biggest, most important thing. Every Fortune 1000 company and Fortune 500 company has stated that they believe that carbon credits are part of their way to be more ecologically friendly and to lower their, their carbon footprint for their companies or, or however they manage things around the world. Um, today, it's, it's about a $2 billion um, you know, asset class. Uh, and, and, and that's about, you know, 90% less than where, and I'm sorry, it needs to grow by about 90 X, um, to be able to hit just the volume that people are asking for. So you have the voluntary and the regulated market, and both of them are, are completely underscaled. Um, and really the technology stacks don't work because people need more than just a line that says, I bought a carbon credit. What'd you buy? Where did it go? And we're seeing kind of the, the trust in that entire ecosystem just be destroyed. I mean, it's uh, Bloomberg wrote an article, Wall Street Journal just wrote an article. Um, and, and that's not what we want because there's really good people behind these projects that are trying to you know, do good in the world. And we have people on the other side that have mass amounts of liquidity exposed that want to fund these projects, but we have a gap in between. And so we look at what we're able to do with vertically integrated solutions like with in, inside of FinRAMP. And again, each, each can be unique. Um, so carbon credits would definitely not be handled the same way that, that automobiles would and definitely wouldn't be the same way that real estate would. But we can do custom, custom vertically integrated sex tax per asset class. Um, and so being able to kind of tackle carbon credits uh, and, and, and fix that. And again, the, the, the goal is that we in, we're very inclusive. Um, we're, we're a marketplace, we're rails, we're, we're that lowest level infrastructure layer that helps set the rules and guidelines and that brings all the existing certifiers, all the existing offsetters and all the existing, uh, investors and brokerages to the table and allows them to have a much more fluid, uh, experience all the way from tokenization, funding of projects, liquidity, storage, and eventually to retirement and validation and verification of what these projects are. So a very long-winded answer. Um, you know, we, we look at all these asset classes, we look at a variety of them, um, but we want to start with where we can have the highest level of impact. Uh, and, and that's why we're starting right now with, with carbon credits, because I, I think it's just one of the greatest challenges uh, to take on right now. And it also has the greatest need, uh, and especially at a very desperate time for us. Yeah, interesting. Um, and I guess the the thing that kind of occurs to me is, you know, uh, I live and breathe decentralized finance, yep. um, and I that's that's part of our, you know, the the heart and soul of our our uh, fund. But it's also like something I I truly believe in. Um, and I I have I'll be frank, I have a real blind spot. Um, when it comes to sort of like walled garden approaches to blockchain. So help me understand why, like what, what does blockchain specifically bring to this? Let's like, let's take carbon credits as, as the use case. What does blockchain technology bring specifically to that opportunity 
that like a centralized database uh, approach would you know would would leave uh, uh, wanting. Yeah, it, there's there's a variety of things now, and I'd, I'd, let's 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 go let's go through you know a long to short list. I, I think the first is access. Um, the, the first is access and portability and, and passportability. And, and so the, the, the concept is, you know, if it's a centralized database, um, it, it, it's never going to go anywhere. It just isn't like there, there's not even the ability to take the, that, that ledger, that line item out of a centralized database and port it anywhere else and have it. You, you could theoretically, you know, people have tried it. It's, it's a gazillion APIs, but then you're, you're having to tell every single person that ever wants to know what happened, where it went, what this thing is you know, attached to our API and then write it to your own centralized database. So number one, we very much believe in, in, in the public ledger, um, but we also do believe in privacy and a number number of other things that are, that are required. So uh, going back to that word middleware <clears throat> is um, I, I, I know, and I, I do believe, you know, completely believe in, in DeFi. I think that it's going to get there. And I think that the, the challenges are rapidly being uh, evolved. You know, account abstraction is like, like, you know, Holy cow! There we go. Now, now we're starting to think about this correctly, but that wasn't there literally eight, eight to ten months ago. Um, so what we're doing is we're bringing this thing into into a blockchain based format. We're putting these things where, where again, they're in a shelter. Think of them as a sheltered cove before we go out to the stormy seas. Because once you go out, once you go out there, um, you know, there's really no coming back. So in, inside of ours, you know, again, think of think of this as somebody loses their access, loses their wallet. There's there's a problem. They're all KYC, you know, AML, you know, OFAC compliant we can get them back in. We use, you know, legal proper custodians. Um, so banks that are blockchain based that are in, in, some neobanks, some large banks. So, so we're kind of just saying like, look, let's get it into the correct format. Let's take the time. Let's go ahead and, and not rush this because there's nothing worse than, than hearing people have lost their assets, lost their value, and then lost their faith. And I think that's the problem is there's no reason to rush at this point. We know that the future has been decided. It's blockchain. There's nothing else on the planet that's even, even in second place to where the, the global financial uh, markets are going to move to. So, so number one, centralized databases, the answer is just no. Blockchain-based finance, absolutely yes. But the, the, the last point kind of, you know, on this, um, and I, I really get passionate about it, as you can tell, because I, I just get so excited about the concepts. I, there's, there's some amazing protocols that have been built. So there's an NFT, uh, you know, lending DeFi program, you know, that, that people can, can, can take their board apes, their punks, whatever they want, you know, pull them together, create liquidity pools. Uh, they can create baskets of assets and, and have, have lending them on it, done on it. And it's all, you know, again, it's a DeFi world, it, but these are complex and, you know, financial instruments that these guys have built. And, and we have partners. Uh, some of them have partnered with us and said like, like, We've made all this for the JPEG monkeys and and, and all this other stuff, and, and it works. It works very very well. But we know this isn't the future. We're like, but look, we we built it. We can take that exact same assets now, and and because we're a blockchain based, uh, we we've got you know carbon credits. We you know by the time we're ready, there may be you know two or three other assets in, in here, can, you know like trade finance and others, and suddenly. The code that they've already written, everything that they've built and, and proven, now instead of having a, a, a couple, you know, hundred million dollar market, you know, market uh, that's moving through it, now suddenly there's trillions of dollars that can be flowing through this, you know, within minutes of those gates opening. And I think that's what's most exciting is suddenly we don't have to go and say, hey, we made this weird centralized server. Would you like to build an app inside of our ecosystem? They've already done the work. They've already proven that it works. They've already they've already kind of pressure tested it, and that's the way I really think of a lot of what DeFi is today: is getting prepped and getting ready for the storm. I mean, we're we're going to go from you know right now we're a trillion dollar market cap. Like entire cryptocurrency right now is like a trillion dollars. We got to three trillion dollars. 
It's it's nothing. Like we're we're it's a drop in the bucket. There's like 1.4 quadrillion dollars, you know, around the world of of assets. And so I, I look at it as keep 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 working. I mean, the the projects you have because one day Ave Ave, you know, Uni, they may be moving you know 10 20 trillion dollars a day. Um, and I hope that they're efficient, and I hope that they're you know pressure tested and ready to go by then. Well, I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about the tech stack itself? Like, I, I know you're still in the building phase, uh, and we can you know chat a little bit about uh, phases. But I'd love to know too about like how do you how do you envision sort of the the tech stack and and how it's going to be built out in and what phases you're 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 at yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick overview and then I really want Zemfira to jump in because it's this is where she really shines as you can tell I I have no PhDs and she has all of them multiples of them um, and so the the concepts that we have you know just right off the bat is number one uh, safety first. You know, we want it to be safe. We want it to be secure. The loss of a single dollar of, of someone's asset or or, or wealth um, that that's a critical error that we we don't want to deal with. So, so number one, we start with safety and security. Um, then, then we kind of go. We want rules, regulations, tax laws, everything else to be followed. So, so number one, uh, everyone's got a fiduciary responsibility, especially when we're talking about large institutions. So we want to make sure that that the, the workflows that they already have are more efficient. Um, over in the FinRamp ecosystem, that they're not having to reinvent the wheel and, and hire a bunch of kids that, that they don't you know, don't understand traditional finance. So we're, we're kind of really porting things in. Uh, a couple other things that that I'd say we believe in is is you know chain agnostic. Um, you know, there's there's you know people that believe that ETH is the future. There's people that believe that that Solana is the future. And then JP Morgan went and built Onyx, and you know they built Onyx. That's all I have to say. Um, and they're going to use it and that's fine. So where, where the original, you know, tokenizer wants to put that token, you know, they're going to have to make a choice. And I think that there's going to be different, uh, different solutions, um, across the board. There's not going to be, you know, one chain that rules them all except for Bitcoin. Bitcoin's going to do its thing. Um, but it's not, you know, at this point, EVM compatible. So I, I think that really there's going to be, um, we've got to be able to be fluid. We have to be able to be flexible and we have to be able to be forward compatible um, because I still don't believe that we've seen the best use case yet. Uh, and, and potentially there's new chains that, that Alan, you and I are both familiar with that are coming down the pipe uh, that, that are really going to be game changers, especially for speed and efficiency and cost. And that's the one thing I can't, no one's going to pay more for a less secure system. No one's going to pay more for a, a slower, more kind of, you know, uh, convoluted experience. And so I, I think that we're starting to see that now uh, as institutions go, look, I need to lower my costs. I need to, to, you know, increase my reach. Um, and so those are, those are a couple of the thoughts I'll throw right out there, but, but, but Zem, please. Yeah, Zem. Yeah. Can you yeah, add to that? Yeah, yeah, I can add to So I think a little bit more tactically what that really looks like, we're really looking at a phased approach and we really believe that uh, reinventing the wheel is a wrong um, the wrong approach as well. So our idea is let's start with something where we can add, we feel we can add a lot of value to the current market. Let's take on different parts and bits and uh, parts and pieces that already exist from the tech stack standpoint and modify them or augment them with um, blockchain capabilities and ultimately launch our first um, first phase of the project. And as we're building, as we're learning from it, we're going to be adding features. So maybe one of the two things that I really wanted to highlight in phase one, um, definitely the concept of token gating in digital ID. So the idea that any um, entity or any person who is going to be 
joining our ecosystem, a world garden, um, a full KYC, but also they're able to prove the fact that it's been KYC through FINRA by um, the digital ID that they're going to be holding that will also help them to access multiple other systems that we envision. The second part is um, the uh, 1155 token. So it's uh, we call it 1155. It's really bu- built on the ERC standard, but ultimately it allows with additions that we are contemplating, it will allow the, uh, to add to it additional information that could be verified. And then with the systems that we envision, you can try. You can um, you can have multiple verifiers who, who can provide that trust that is necessary to say that this is a real token. There's the documents associated with that that are in, in custody of certain uh, custodians that um, that um, ultimately will allow us to to add that a layer of trust and verification that is required for what we think the next phase would be, which is really going into the security space. And phase two is all about security. So basically carbon credits is an interesting space because it allows us to have a sandbox and play without having very specific um, licensing, um, specifically in Europe. But the next phase is going into MIFID 2 and MICA and being fully regulated. So adding up layers of that is phase two. And then phase three is actually replacing that all with more what DeFi currently looks like. But I think that is really more out there and something we... Um, we just really need to learn first and then walk before we run before we can comment on that. And so, uh, I mean, that's fascinating. Thank you. I I guess just sort of reflecting um, and thinking a little bit about the business itself beyond just the technology. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to to go in there. You need to obviously have you know, both sides of the equation, buy, sell side, uh, both buy and sell side, um, you need to create uh, markets. Just out of curiosity, like, who are you speaking with? You're speaking with large financial institutions, you're speaking with uh, funds and family offices, like, give us a sense of, you know, uh, I'll maybe I'll ask a little bit more about the, you know, the entirety of your team, but I imagine your team is out there building relationships and talking to different different folks in the, in the ecosystem to um, to be able to, uh, you know, move out to the market uh, pretty quickly. Maybe share with us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so number one, we've, we've got, you know, right now a little bit over 30 strategic clients, partners, and, and advisors, um, meaning that we kind of really do hunt out people that have, you know, either, either companies that are already in the space, uh, brokerages, financial institutions, uh, you know, carbon credit offsetters, verified verifiers, you know, kind of anyone that's that's in this ecosystem that we need to understand, and including, you know, encryption and blockchain experts. Um, and then we really are starting to, to, to phase in, um, you know, how do we add, you know, broker, you know, the traditional, again, traditional system, this is what you're already doing today. There's brokers that, that trade this every day. How would they, how are they going to interact over in the, in the FinRAMP world? So number one, we, we have, you know, full, you know, very pretty UI, UX front ends to be able to manage this, all the stuff. Um, but again, having sometimes people already have a system. Um, and so again, because we want to be adherent to the traditional finance system, they can tie, we'll be able to tie in uh, to, you know, traditional SOC 2 APIs um, to the existing infrastructure they have today. So that's really where we're at right now. 
is we're going around and identifying all the various ecosystem partners. We're signing them up um, to test with us. Uh, we're, we're getting we're getting ready to launch the tech stack right now, but we also want to make sure that before we launch that, we've kind of gone through all those checkboxes and said, what does every broker need? What does the offsetters and and you know project managers? What do they need? The verifiers and the KYC and the and and all the other people like have we really thought through everything here? And um, by the way, we now have a chance to, to, to enhance the systems that you were using in the past. So let's go think through it. And that's where I think Zen was talking a little about the 1155 token is we've gone and said like, here's the wish list. Like we went and sat down with, with uh, micro regulators and said, you know, what would be your perfect token design? Like, what can we do that you, you're, you're kind of stonewalled now um, that works maybe slightly well uh, in the TradFi world, but hasn't even really been integrated yet into, into the, the blockchain based world. And so those are a little bit of the, the, the factors we're facing today. And I'm sure Zem can, can extrapolate a little bit more on all that. Well, with increased numbers, I just feel I think like no, Jay. So honestly, I think uh, it's, uh, um, it's just like you mentioned, um, going and really trying to understand what market, I guess, from first point, what market is appearing right now? From second one, what is the wish list that um, we have from various parties? And then trying to bring this all together. But I mean, obviously, Alan, I don't think it's it's wise of us to underestimate the uh, the initial portion, how much of that is required to stand up the system. And then um, bringing the right relevant stakeholders to the um, to the party, and so that is definitely something that we are very heavily pushing on right now. Anything from signing on um, strategic advisors to strategic partners, and then bringing in the intermediaries that are providing us their wish list is what it would take for us to integrate with their systems and bringing their clients on board. And of course, you know, you have a team set up to do this. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the team? Yeah, I mean, so uh, all, all these, all of our advisors, you know, um, and strategic alliance partners are, are listed on uh, FinRamp.io. So, you know, there's there's no trading going on there, but we really are, are very much, you know, pushing through on the project. And there's even a pitch page, you know, FinRamp.io slash pitch. Um, and you can really see and, and take a look at all these. And so one of the things that, that we're very, um, you know, is... <laughs> as some gray haired, uh, entrepreneurs that, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, we've, I very much believe in the 10,000 hours. Um, so when we're looking at, you know, Hey, we need to, we need to have somebody on, on our advisor list or in our, in our pool that understands encryption. We want, you know, somebody that's got 10,000 hours. We, we need to have somebody that understands, you know, carbon credits, you know, what it, they need to have at least a decade in the a decade of experience to be able to advise us. Um, it's, there's, listen, there's a lot of people that are building companies based on chat GTP and, and, you know, Google searches and everything else. I think that's great. There's a very big difference between those that have done it, tried, failed, tried again, and, and be able to find those inroads. And so that's the way we, we look at this. So we're really going out right now, and, and we've got uh, actually a couple more that are signing on right now that are big, big names in the carbon credit industry um, that have been doing this for a decade plus. In some cases, built uh, you know built marketplaces in certain countries that didn't have it and didn't exist. So we're, we're very focused on that that experience, that existing experience, um, and also the ability to kind of integrate the new technology. You know, that they're saying like, you know, look, 
what I built, you know, over the last decade plus wasn't perfect, um, but it was the best we could do with the technology and resources we have. Um, and then they're able to kind of relay to, you know, the blockchain and token experts that are in our, in our ecosystem as well and say, here's the wish list. Here's the problems we ran into constantly that we just never were able to overcome. And then we can solve those solutions. And again, because we're not just creating a, you know, a one-to-one parity, which is what would happen if we just did a centralized database. We're actually trying to take this and how do we scale it? Not 10 X, how do we scale it a hundred X? And that's a big dynamic difference to be able to hundred X an asset class right now to go from 2 billion to 200 billion. It's a big dynamic difference. And you have to really think about onboarding. You have to be able to think about uh, integration, compliance, and, and not, you can't just say, I'm just going to add a bunch of people to, to sit on the phone. So we're able to take new technologies like AI and integrate it in and, and make it adhere to rules and regulations that's on the books. No one's going to read, you know, all the Mifid II, uh, you know, books and Bibles. No one's going to sit there and, you know, whatever the case is. But this is what AI is really good at, at, at saying, this is this is a data set that I'm supposed to adhere to. And let's just make sure as we're creating these tokens, let's make sure as we're trading, we're logging and auditing and, and being compliant along the way. And, it, and if it detects something that's wrong, great. Flag it, and we'll, a human will show up and, and make sure that it gets it gets fixed. So we're we're being ahead, working ahead of the game on on some of these things like auditing, compliance, and rules and regulations. Hmm, that's that's fascinating. The, I mean, paint us a picture. What does it look like in ten years? What does FinRamp like? What does FinRamp look like in ten years? And what's the use case for I don't know whatever JP Morgan or uh, or like a a fund or a family office or you know, maybe like paint us a couple, like a picture of where, where do you, in your mind, where do you think this leads? Uh, we're, we're talking about like massive asset classes, uh, the infrastructure being built, taking advantage of blockchain technology. But what do you think the sort of outcome, the eventual outcome? You know, it, it, it's hard to, you know, I'll do my best to paint the picture. 10 years is a long way out. I can, I can, I can almost get to three to five. Um, but, but let's, let's go 10. And I think that what it is, is, is think of the difference between posting an ad, um, in, in the newspaper, you know, Hey, I've got a, a table and chairs for sale and it's just black and white text. And, you know, you may get a few calls on it. You may get everything else. And then think of the dynamic difference that suddenly eBay had on the world. Um, and it takes time to build trust. It takes time for people to understand and grow and adapt, but it's not just the, the biggest difference is, you know, eBay is a centralized service. Um, you're either using eBay or you're not using eBay. And so we're kind of that next evolution the way I think of it is because suddenly you have the ability to have an onboarding solution that provides essentially some sort of SSL type type validation verification. Okay, we know we know who made this token. We know we we we've adhered to rules and regulations that are in their jurisdiction that that this token needs to be tra- needs to be created in. Um, we know everyone in the world that wants wants you know that wants access to it, uh, and, and so we can have highly highly complex smart contracts that that interact with that token over days months, years, or decades to be able to adhere to really complex, you know, workflows. But then the most important thing, and now, and it gets back to your, like, why, why blockchain? Because then it goes out into the world. You know, that by that point, I feel, you know, 10 years from now, definitely, um, you know, DeFi and, and will be figured out. The concept of identity and, and rules and regulations will definitely be satisfied. And so tokens that, that, that were created, you know, in 2024 will have stable values in 2034. 
you know, that, the, the, that what the reason they were created and the way that they have true title on blockchain. And that's the biggest difference is when you, when you're talking about MIFID two compliant tokens and securities, the true, the actual titles there, not like, Hey, here's a token and give me a, call me up on the phone and I'll, you know, I'll give you a redemption. Um, is that we actually have real assets, real, real liabilities and, and real securities that are now on the blockchain. And suddenly it scales so much more because an investor will have the information they want to know that they like, Hey, I like this company in, in, in Zimbabwe. Um, I, I, I can see that they're highly rated. I can see other people that I've interacted with that have also uh, traded on the system or bought their, bought their products or services. Um, I have faith, I have trust, and I have research to say that I, I'm okay to, to purchase that and, and bring it into uh, bring it into to my, my, my wallets, my holdings. And so I think that, again, when we're really talking about a big scalability, I think that the concept of smart contracts as legal contracts, um, you know, think about something like, like tarps and, you know, mortgage backed securities. I think that's one of the best examples. Um, you know, right now we, we've had multiple failures in the United States and, and other countries around, like there's just these massive baskets of, of, of mortgage backed securities and nobody knows what they are. Like, there's people that know, but it would take days, weeks, months to be able to figure out like, what are they all and how do we break them out? And so uh, the, the banking crisis that we just had earlier this year, Alan, um, where you had, you know, Silvergate and others that, that were billions and billions of dollars of assets, but they didn't have liquidity. They didn't, they couldn't break apart those, those, those bonds and, you know, bond pools and everything else fast enough. But suddenly if all those are tokens wrapped in, in, in other larger, um, you know, essentially other tokens, um, then, and integrated with AI technology, you can now identify like, look, I, I need $500 million immediately because I've, you know, I've got a call or I've got a drain instead of having to go sell billions of dollars worth of these things at the wholesale market, you can quickly identify, here's the highest value ones that we have. We're going to go ahead and list these and create instant liquidity, um, instant, instant liquidity. And that's the biggest change in differences. I think that we're able to kind of scale this and create much more complex financial instruments that are much safer than what we're dealing with today. Um, the la- last point I want to make on that is, is just remember like when Bear Stearns went down, you know, it was months when the, 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 the red flags were thrown, something was wrong. They started an audit. It took another six, eight plus months before they finally identified, like, there's massive amounts of fraud. We have to shut this down. When, they, when the flags were thrown at FTX, it was hours, hours that they were able to go through. And so that's the biggest difference in the technologies. I think it's safer for the consumers long term and fraud will be able to identify much faster in, in the future. Zim, can I ask you the same question? I mean, you have a rich experience as a strategist with one of the biggest banks in the world, with McKinsey. Ten years from now, where do you see, like, what place do you think FinRAMP has and how, how does it look for, for users? So I think if I were just to go into that evolution, the first one, um, I think it's interesting to understand why um, we don't really have this use case yet. And a um, big part of this is, because banks and financial institutions typically don't trust each other. So you actually need some sort of an intermediary party that can bring everyone together and show what great looks like. So my vision of FinRAMP is we're going to show what great looks like. And then there are really two options. One is you can white label and bring that into your own systems and then ultimately build, um, use what we built to make it more efficient and effective. Or we can, uh, you can use FinRAM as is and then bring in some of your assets to um, other ecosystem, other places, other um, 
other execution venues so that they become much more much bigger global access and then available to much more investors and then um, eventually retail investors as well. So, I mean, as you can see between me and Jay, I'm a little bit more practical. Jay is a little bit more visionary. <laughs> but I think that's probably what, what I foresee as uh, the future for FinLab. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think I just want to tie on to that real quick. There, there's a, you said yin-yang and you weren't sure if that's true. It is absolutely true. Um, where, where I'm kind of that, you know, like, like let's reimagine the entire future. Zem, Zem is the centralist that goes like, hey, do you understand, you know, how strict these laws are? Like, do you understand, you know, how these banks operate and how these, 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 these things work? And so that's great, Jay. And she goes, Jay, okay, sure. But here's what we have to do today to even be able to have that conversation down the road. So that's where we're really able to kind of have the let's build something today that works that that's that's blockchain, you know, blockchain based, works with TradFi, works on blockchain. But at least I'm and in, we're integrating in that concept of a full DeFi future five to ten years from now, Alan. That you are you and so many others are investing their time, energy, and capital into. I mean, listen, guys. Uh, thank you so much um, for the insight today. I think. You know, in my mind, as I said, you know, I live and breathe DeFi. I spent a lot of time with like crypto builders and, and, um, and yet I think, you know, I'm a pragmatist. I've built businesses before. I know that, you know, sometimes, uh, the thing you think you're building doesn't end up that way, especially when you need to conform, uh, to specific, um, you know, very strict regulations. Um, and then you have these like traditional financial institutions that are also, that are also building in the space. And this meeting in the middle, this kind of understanding that, um, you know, combining those two approaches and finding out, you know, how that can work best and then moving it forward into like a 10 year from now, look, this is what we think we're, kind of, we're, we're, we're aiming for. It's really exciting. So just want to thank you both um, for your amazing insights uh, and really looking forward to seeing you know, how you build FinRamp and, and where it goes. Where can people learn more about you guys, be in touch with you guys, learn more about uh, FinRamp? Awesome. And, and Alan, thank you so much. It's great to be on the other side of the, of the, the chair here. Uh, so the easiest one is uh, FinRamp.io uh, slash pitch. Um, so we, we like to make it very easy on everyone else. Uh, you can you can uh, view my 10-minute pitch on the entire concept uh, right there, as well as, you know, we have full data rooms and everything available, and, and as well as uh, Zemfira and I's information, as well as all of our advisors and all of our strategic partners are listed there as well. So if anyone really wants to dig into the project, understand it or get involved, say, hey, I'd like to think about listing assets. I'd like to think about it being, you know, being involved as a contributor. Um, you know, everything's right there and it will be continuing to evolve, you know, very quickly over the next uh, couple of months. So finramp.io slash pitch. And uh, no, thank you so much for the time. Awesome. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com.
Why Whales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.